Your, your word, O oh Lord, is a lamp to our feet, light to our path. The reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 18. Present weakness and resurrection life. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, Plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We, are all, we always carry around in our body the death of Christ, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to the death for Christ's sakes, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us from, with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Lord, may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Thank you, Shirley. <clears throat> Let us pray. Lord God, we ask that you would speak into our hearts with the message you have brought us here to hear. We pray, Holy Spirit, that we may hear your voice ministering to us and that you may find in each of us willing hearts, lives that want to be challenged and want to grow in their faithfulness. So speak, Lord, for we are listening and we desire to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, uh, today we're going to be looking at life metaphors and, and how they affect how we live. One of the most famous of all metaphors 
comes from the film Forrest Gump, and I'll ask Hannes if he can play the first segment. Just a warning, the sound is not great. It's not Hannes's fault or the sound system. It's the download that wasn't particularly wonderful, but I'm sure you'll be able to pick up the gist of it. Thanks, Hannes. Hello. My name's Forrest. Forrest Gump. Do you want a chocolate? I could eat about a million and a half of these. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Those must be comfortable shoes. I bet you could walk all day in shoes like that and not feel a thing. I wish I had shoes like that. My feet hurt. Well, I'm always said there's an awful lot you can tell about a person by their shoes. Where they go, where they've been. I've worn lots of shoes. I bet if I think about it real hard, I could remember my first pair of shoes. Mama said they'd take me anywhere. It is one of my all-time favorite movies. How many of you have seen Forrest Gump? <clears throat> Almost everyone. It is a, it is a fantastic uh, movie to see if you've got a couple of hours that you want to do something worthwhile with. And um, <clears throat> that's as far as we're going in that segment. I know you, as you get a taste for it, you want to sit and watch the rest of it now, but uh, sorry, I've got to get a sermon done. There's, um, <clears throat> life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. One of the most instantly recognizable quotes in the world, and frankly, it's probably one of the most relatable you never know what you're going to get with life. Just like a box of chocolate, sometimes life is sweet. Sometimes you bite into a chocolate and it's that lovely caramel barrel, you know, the liquid caramel that's just so beautiful and lovely on the tongue. And other times you bite into one of those awful orange creams that nobody likes. And it's bitter and it's horrible and it's gross. And that's sometimes what life can be like too. Now, Forrest Gump in this uh, incredible movie really immortalized the idea of a life metaphor. And uh, as he reminisced about what his mother used to say, it helped him deal with the unexpected things that life would throw at him. Now, while it might be one of the most famous life metaphors, Forrest certainly didn't invent life metaphors. In fact, they've been around for as long as people have been trying to make sense of life itself. People create different ways of thinking about life in order that they can understand the way that they are and can live life accordingly. In fact, William Shakespeare wrote one of the most famous ones when he said, All the world is a stage, and all the men and women are merely players in it. They have their entrances and their exits. And as I say, life metaphors are a good way of 
understanding and engaging life and trying to get a handle on it, influencing how we think and act. So I did a little bit of research and I, I tried to see if I could come up with some other life metaphors and, and boy, you only have to punch it into Google and there are just thousands of them. I picked a couple of my, my favorites. Life is like a jigsaw puzzle, except you don't have the picture before you and don't know what it's supposed to look like and it always feels as if there are a few pieces missing. Life is like a poker game. You have to play the hand that you are dealt. Life is like a novel. You are the author and every day is a new page. Life is like money. You can spend it in any way you wish, but you can only spend it once. I thought this was particularly true. Life is like eating grapefruit. First you have to break through the skin. It takes a couple of bites to get used to it. And just as you begin to enjoy it, it squirts you in the eye. Life is like an elevator. It has lots of ups and downs and someone's always pushing your buttons. And the last one, life is like a holiday. It goes way too fast and you wish you had taken more pictures. Although I think that might have been before smartphones and selfies because I don't know if anybody wishes they had more pictures around after the uh, selfies been invented. I'm sure that at one point or another, each of us have thought about or have used or have related to life metaphors. It often actually happens at funeral services as we try to make sense of a life that has just ended. We want to try and find some way of understanding what has just happened to somebody who has been so central to our existence and just all of a sudden is no more. These life metaphors shape and mold us in different ways and sometimes just on a subconscious level. But uh, nevertheless, they determine our perspective. They, they influence how we invest our time. They affect what value we place on relationships and what priorities we have. Some metaphors lead people to have a kind of a fatalistic attitude. They say things like, it is what it is, or well, that's just life, or maybe you've heard what will be will be, or in Australia they often say, she'll be right, oh, she'll be right, so whatever happens, we'll get there. Other metaphors lead people to kind of make their own destiny. To give you an example, in this next clip from uh, Forrest Gump, we see Forrest's mother making sense of her own death for Forrest as she tries to explain to him about destiny in life. And once again, I'm sorry about the sound. Thanks, Thomas. <clears throat> What's the matter, Mom? I'm dying, Forrest. Can you sit down over here? I did the best I could. You did good, Mom. 
well. You know, I happen to believe you make your own destiny. You have to do the best with what God gave you. What's my destiny, Mom? You're gonna have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates for us. You never know what you're gonna get. Mama always had a way to explain things so I could understand them. I will miss you, Forrest. She had got the cancer and died on a Tuesday. I bought her a new hat with little flowers on it. And that's all I had to say about that. Mama always had a way of explaining things that I could understand them. I love the way she does that with those metaphors. The question that I have for us this morning is, what is God's metaphor for our lives? What does God say life is like? How do we handle it according to the pictures that he puts before us? As I was saying, you only have to listen to a conversation at a, at a morning tea after a funeral or listen to people trying to comfort others in crisis to realize that even within Christianity, there is no uniform way of how we understand life to be. But actually, there should be. Because in this chapter of Paul's uh, second letter to the Corinthians, there's laid out very clearly some pictures of God's metaphor for our life. If you remember from the series on Paul, he's writing to the church in Corinth because he's actually trying to defend his ministry. There were teachers, uh, Jewish teachers of the Jewish law, who would wait until Paul had left a certain place, and then they would go in and try and fix the teaching that he had done. They would try to undo some of the uh, teaching that Paul had given about grace and, and freedom from the law and so on. And so that's why he writes, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this, this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God, because we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. That's not arrogance from Paul, but it's trying to just define and reinforce the faithful teachings of the ministry that they had done. So Paul writes to them and clarifies why he's a disciple. He defends his ministry, and most importantly for us today, he corrects the false teachings for the people in Corinth and outlines for you and for me God's metaphor of how God wants us to live in this world. And according to Paul, God's metaphor follows three things. Firstly, life is an opportunity. Thanks, Hannes. Life is an opportunity. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. We always carry around in, the body, in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in us. For Paul, life is an opportunity. Everything that happens is a moment to share the grace of Jesus Christ. For people to see that God's love for them is real and that they can grow in their understanding of God's love. For us, every interaction we have with every different person, from the interaction daily with our family, to friends, to schoolmates, to the cashier, to work colleagues, to 
people at church to the guy who drives next to us in traffic. Everyone is a moment. Everyone is an opportunity to, to share something of the grace and love of God, to treat people in a way that Jesus Christ will treat them. I, do, I have done a lot of weddings in my ministry over the years, and the vast majority of the weddings I've done have been for people who are unchurched, people who do not attend church or aren't a part of it, but, but what they want is the traditional wedding. They want the, the church and the photographs and, and all of that sort of thing. And uh, so I always agree to do it because they've had no connection to the church before. And let me tell you, those weddings are painful weddings to do because the minister is very often seen as the kind of necessary but very boring part of the day's events. And it's almost like the quicker we can get rid of the minister, the faster we can open the bar and have a decent party. Sometimes I have guests who intentionally will arrive after I finished. We've had people phone the office and say, how long will the minister take to do the ceremony? Uh, 40 minutes? Okay, thanks. We'll, we'll be there after that. Sometimes I've even had to ask people to keep the conversation down while we actually try and have a prayer for the couple. But the reason, as painful as that is, the reason why I keep doing those weddings is it's because an opportunity for people who never come to church to have, in a sense, a God moment. I sometimes think the sole aim of weddings in those circumstances is for people to know that Christians can actually be normal. And in fact, more than anything else, the feedback that I get at weddings like that is people who say to me, and they never quite know how to address me, so... They say, well, um, uh, Father, that was much better than I thought it would be. That's what they say. That was better than I thought it would be. It's an opportunity. There is, there is contact. And for us, every contact is an important one for us to be able to spread the love of God into the hearts and lives of other people. This doesn't mean that we take the Bible and we hit people over the head and kind of, do you know Jesus? That's not at all what I'm talking about. What I mean is that we are open and sensitive to expressing the love and the grace and the acceptance of God in the way we treat others. I was coming back from Brisbane on Wednesday night and they always booked me on the very last flight into Bundy. So it's like half past seven or something that the flight leaves. And, and generally by that time, I'm pretty tired and I just want to rest. And I sat down on the plane and this, this elderly gentleman sat next to me. And usually I kind of just keep to myself. Uh, I sit there and bemoan the fact that Qantas always think I'm a, a fruit lover and only feed me things that are full of fruit or green olives. That's the only thing I ever seem to get, fruit and green olives. It's really a bit of a first world problem. But anyway, I, I like to keep to myself. I sit down on the plane and this, and this elderly guy sits down next to me and begins chatting to me with the conversation. And uh, it's always a fun moment when they ask me, what do you do? What's your occupation? And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a minister in the Uniting Church. And you can always see the wheels turning in people's head. They're suddenly going back over the conversation thinking, what did I say? What have I said? How many swear words were there in my conversation? Uh, how's, how's this going to work out for me? 
And this guy looked at me and said, well, my wife is a Buddhist, and so I uh, relate to the Buddhist faith, so I'm sorry if you were planning on recruiting me. I thought, you started talking to me. I looked at him and I said, I'm not planning on recruiting you. It's after five. I've already knocked off. I'm done. <clears throat> I said, I just want to enjoy a conversation with you. Just want to enjoy a conversation with you. And so he started chatting. We started chatting. We chatted about all sorts of things. Actually, we got pretty deep into a conversation for only a 40-minute flight and uh, spoke about his life and his journey and some of the difficulties or pains he's had with, with family and, and all the rest. And we get to Bundy and we, we're walking off the plane and um, down the tarmac and he, he kind of grabs my shoulder and he says to me, he says, hey, what time are your services? So I said, oh, 7.30, 9.30 and 6. Why? He said, well, I'd like to come to them sometime. I'd like to come to them. From, from saying, don't try and recruit me, 40 minutes later to, I'd like to come to one of your services. Now, I was actually very serious about not wanting to recruit him. I don't do that even when I am on duty. And getting him to come to church was never the goal of the conversation. Treating him like Jesus was. And should be for everyone that we actually have a conversation with because every person, every conversation, every interaction is an opportunity to share God's love. Life is an opportunity. We don't often see all the opportunities that are afforded us by God to express His love, often because we don't want to. It's much easier to see the opportunities we want rather than what God wants. It would have been much easier to put my head on the window and close my eyes for 40 minutes and, and gone to sleep. And I'm not sharing this with you because I always get it right. I most often do not get it right. But we need to change how we see life, how we see interactions to being this metaphor of an opportunity to be used by God for building His kingdom. The second metaphor, thanks, Honest, is that life is a trust. And by that I mean God has entrusted us with everything we have, from our physical possessions to our gifts and abilities, the things that we have that are given by Him to do His work in and through the church and in our lives. All that we have is entrusted to us by God for His glory. It's so easy to get caught up in the busyness of the world, in what the world would have us believe are the correct priorities for our days. There's always so much to get done. There's always so much that seems urgent. But if we view our lives as something that God has entrusted us with, if we view our lives as the possessions and the things we have, as things that God has given us to take care of and to use for His glory, then our thinking begins to be shaped a little differently. We would be challenged as to the difference between what's urgent and what's important. The urgent is not always important and the important is not always urgent. I think about things of, of being in touch with loved ones and friends and families and marriage partners and things like that. Sometimes we, we, uh, we think spending time with them or being in touch with them is, is something that can wait. It can wait. It's it's important, but it's not urgent. When we view what we have 
when we view the relationships we share, when we view our possessions, when we view our money, when we view all of these things as a trust from God, it changes how we begin to think. What God has entrusted us with in terms of what we have says a vast volume in terms of, of how we can uh, create benefit for others in this world. Life is a trust. I love the part of Forrest Gump where, um, where Lieutenant Dan invests their shrimping boat money into what Forrest calls a fruit company, which is actually Apple Computers. And Forrest changes from a millionaire shrimp boat captain to a gazillionaire with more money than Davy Crockett, he says at one point in the movie. But it's what he does with the money that I really love. Thank you, Hannes. And that's all I had to say about that. Didn't you say you were waiting for number seven bucks? There'll be another one along shortly. Now, because I've been a football star and a war hero and national celebrity and a shrimping boat captain and a college graduate, this city falls of Greenbow, Alabama, decided to get together and offered me a fine job. So uh, I never went back to work for Lieutenant Dan. Though he did take care of my Bubba Gump money. He got me invested in some kind of fruit company. And so then I got a call from him saying, we don't have to worry about money no more. And I said, that's good. One less thing. Now, Mama said there's only so much fortune a man really needs, and the rest is just for showing off. So, I gave a whole bunch of it to the Four Square Gospel Church, and I gave a whole bunch to the Bio the Battery Fishing Hospital. And even though Bubba was dead, and Lieutenant Dan said I was nuts, I gave Bubba's mama Bubba share. You know what? She didn't have to work in nobody's kitchen no more. Thanks, Hannes. I love that. Even though Lieutenant Dan said I was crazy, I gave Bubba's mama Bubba share. That's fantastic. Now, we may not be gazillionaires, but God has entrusted us with so many things, so many unique and special gifts, so many talents and abilities. And to view life as a trust, is to be willing to challenge ourselves as to what ways we are using them. Life's not just about what we want or, or what we want to do with the things that we accumulate. It is a trust. Paul writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And lastly, life is a temporary assignment. Therefore, we do not lose heart, writes Paul, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
That simply means that we live our lives with an eternal view in mind. That everything we do and say is seen as temporary in the light of eternity. Can you imagine how different life would be if, uh, if we and all other Christians viewed this as a temporary assignment? I mean, all around us you see people living as if this is it. This is all that there is. I passed a bumper sticker in Brisbane uh, this past week that said, The one who has the most toys when he dies wins. The one who has the most toys when he dies wins. Wins what? Is this all that there is for life? For so many, that's it is. It's here and now. What can I get? What can I gain? How much of my own selfish stuff can be fulfilled? It's about me. And it's so subtle that it can become ingrained without too much uh, of a do in our lives as well. Churches, ministers, Christians, non-Christians, very often the sense of the eternal is lost. This temporary assignment is how we should view our lives because contrary to what society says, what we do now leaves a footprint for all eternity. It leaves a footprint for those who come after us. It places a, a sense of, of introduction for the kingdom that lies ahead. Jesus tells us to live our lives like this. Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth. Remember the eternal significance of why you are here. It reminds me of a story I read of a guy who was so wealthy. He had spent his whole life building up wealth. It was just his whole goal was money and precious things. He had the most beautiful art collection, the most incredible jewelry and rubies and fine things. He had money so much he, he, he couldn't even count it all. And then one day the archangel Gabriel came to take him to heaven. And uh, he was so distressed. He said, but look at all my stuff. What can I bring with? And the angel said, nothing. You can take nothing. As you came into this world, so you are going out of it. And the man was so distressed, he said, no, but that can't be. My whole life's focus has been on this stuff. And he said, okay, you can take one thing. One thing. He stressed about what was the most precious thing that he could possibly take with him into heaven. And eventually he decided he would take a bar of gold. He thought gold will keep its value anywhere. I'll take, I'll take this one big bar and uh, that'll be the thing that I carry with me to heaven. So off they go. They get to heaven. God says, welcome my child, but can you please tell me, why are you carrying with you a piece of pavement? The simple idea that heaven is paved with streets of gold. All the things that we amass, it's a, it's a temporary assignment. It's eternal significance that we should be looking at. It's not just about the here and now but about what we leave behind for others, the way we care for the world and the way we look after people and relationships. Everything to say, this doesn't just benefit me, but this is about an eternally significant journey. To see life as a temporary assignment is to know that what we do here has a significance beyond this moment significance that God looks at. Life may be like a box of chocolates, or it may be like a stage, or it may be like an elevator, or any one of those other metaphors that have made sense to you in the past. But I think that God puts it better than Shakespeare or Forrest Gump's mother. Life is an opportunity. 
Life is a trust. Life is a temporary assignment. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, as we journey through our lives and we're faced with so many different ideas of different moments trying to make sense of things, we thank you for the words of Paul. We thank you for the metaphors that are given to us in his letter to the Corinthians. We thank you, Lord God, for the way in which you reveal to us what you see life as. And today as you challenge us, we pray that you would help us to see all the opportunity, that you would help us to, to view what we have as, as a trust from you, and that you would help us, Lord, not to live in the sense of permanence of this moment, but the temporary nature of all of eternity. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in that way, that more and more people will come to understand what you want for their lives. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.